DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. In Isaiah 36, we read that when the Messiah comes, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing for joy. The prophets foretold that miracles would happen when Messiah comes. Well, in Matthew chapter 9 alone, Jesus opened the eyes of two blind men. Jesus loosened the tongue of a man who could not speak. Jesus cured a paralytic. And in Mark 7, Jesus cured a deaf and mute man. Isaiah 36 was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the anointed one sent by the Father, and his miracle will help us all to believe that. Let's join our Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series now to hear about some of the miracles of Jesus. Good evening, everyone. Tonight we will be discussing the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus, and they are powerful indeed. And we know some are recorded and others never got put to pen. He did many, 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 many miracles. So when it was a synoptic that was all three, I did the orange. The red is all four Gospels recorded the miracle. Like that when Jesus fed 5,000. All four Gospel writers, there's only two. The other miracle that all four Gospel writers had was the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the miracle that we're going to focus on tonight is from, I took it mostly from Mark chapter 5. And, but there weren't numbers back then, so we got to look what happened before. The first thing is, Jesus calms a storm. Jesus calms a storm. He gets into a boat with his disciples. They follow him. And suddenly, a violent storm came up on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by waves. And he was asleep. <laughs> now, violent storm in Hebrew is, literally means earthquake earthquake. This is a violent storm, and that word is commonly used in apocalyptic literature for the shaking of the old world when God brings in his kingdom. And all the synoptics use it in events predicting the parousia of the Son of Man. Earthquakes will be from place to place, famines and earthquakes. There will be earthquakes from place to place, powerful earthquakes when the Son of Man comes. And Matthew used earthquakes in his death and his resurrection. So on the cross, the earth quaked, rocks split open, tombs were opened, and the bodies of many saints who had fallen asleep were raised. 
And after the Sabbath on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was a great earthquake when the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. Some people missed that, but there was an earthquake that morning. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? These storms were common. These storms were common on the Sea of Galilee. The fishermen had had these storms before. Many had gone down and perished, probably friends of theirs, because it's 680 feet below sea level, the Sea of Galilee is. And it's really high on the east side, and winds come up. There's a temperature difference from those that the two airs meet, and it makes violent storms on the Sea of Galilee. They knew these storms quite well as fishermen, and they were scared. They might perish. We might die. These storms came up quickly. And they're in a small boat, and it could get swamped, and they could go under. Steve and I like to take our kids to Lake Powell, and we get a houseboat. We've done this a couple times. It's our favorite family vacation because all the boys love it. But the storms come up in late afternoon, and they give you like a one-hour class on how to drive this 70-foot houseboat. <laughs> and it can get stressful and scary. And so I could kind of relate a little bit. They came and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you terrified? Oh, you of little faith. Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Mark says that he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. He said to the waves, quiet, quiet waves, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I am with you. I'm God. Remember? There was great calm. It grew completely calm. And the men were amazed. And they said, what sort of man? What sort of man? What sort of man is this? Whom even the winds and the sea obey. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Who is this? They were amazed and they were terrified. What sort of man is this? Nature obeys Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. All things were made through Jesus. All things are subject to his authority. We say it in the creed, through him, all things were made. Even the wind and the seas obey him. We saw earlier that even the fish obey him. They said, Lord, there's no fish out there when they had their calling. And the fish jumped in the net when Jesus said, put your nets down. Even the fish obeyed him. And their nets were so full they couldn't even pull them in. Even the winds and the sea and the fish obey him. Now we all have storms in our lives, and storms can come up very fast. And they're often very unexpected. And it isn't how we thought our life would go. And he says to us, his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? We're safe in his boat. And I love the You're the Faith logo, what the Vatican chose. It's the boat. It's the boat. We're safe in his boat. Don't get out of the boat. He's in the boat. We worry about our kids who get out of the boat because we know that the seas of life can churn up some pretty rough waters and some stormy things. 
We want him in the boat. We want him with Jesus. We want him safe. We want him to get to the other side. If we frequent the sacraments, we're in his boat, the church, and he's in every sacrament. And he says, be not afraid. He's there in the boat. Is the boat the only, only place where he is? If your kid's not in the boat, are you sunk? No, he's bigger than that. King Solomon knew that. Solomon was wise. He prayed for wisdom, and the Lord granted it to him when he was dedicating the temple. He said, can, can God of the universe really dwell in, in, the, in this temple? <laughs> in the heavens, even the highest heaven can't contain him. How much less this temple I have built? Can I really contain God in this temple? We go out of the boat. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We get out of the boat so we can be Christ to others. The church is the body of Christ. He's the head of the body, and we are many members, but we are one body in Christ. He's the head, we're the church. So we go out and be little Christ to everyone else. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? He unites himself with the Lord, is one with him in the spirit. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God and that you were bought with a price? It's an expensive purchase. <sighs> they came and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he, he, he said, why are you so terrified? You have little faith. He can calm any storm, any storm in our life. We just have to place our trust in him. And then there'll be a great calm. When we worry and fret, we're not trusting him. It's not of the Lord. He says, be not afraid. Worry is not of the Lord. And it really is a type of arrogance. It's a type of pride to worry. Because we're saying, I know better than God what God is capable of. <laughs> Could anyone relate to that? And Michelangelo has a beautiful painting of the Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel on a whole wall, and he shows the other side, the other side. It's the Last Judgment, and you'll notice there's another side of things in reality that we don't like to think about. The other side is a dark side, and they're going to the other side of the lake. And the kingdom of God is at hand. He's told them that. And they're going across to the other side. God is a God of life, eternal life. Satan is death. Life is going across to face death. And Christ is asleep. In the boat, he's prefiguring his own sleep in the tomb. And on the other side are tombs. And on the other side is death. When they land on the other side, there's tombs. And death is unclean to Jews. You can't be around death. Death makes you unclean. The ultimate battle from the very beginning was the battle between death and life. God has no part in death. He never did. He's a God of life, only life. He's the tree of life, only life. He's eternal life. He has no part in death. When he rises from the tomb on Easter Sunday, he crushed the power of Satan and his demons who still prowl the world seeking the ruin of souls. Because until you take your last breath, they'd like you. What are demons? In Revelation 12, 
we're told that there was a war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he, Satan, was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And he was hurled down to earth with his angels with him. And demons are fallen angels who allied themselves with Satan when he rebelled against God. And they're pure spirit and they saw everything. They saw the whole beatific engine and they chose to go with Satan. They made Satan their father and he's the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. And they go with him. So they're cast out of heaven. And they try to deceive souls to be in eternal damnation with them. And that's why we pray the Michael the Archangel prayer, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl the world seeking the ruin of souls even still. Christ won the victory. That really ticked them off. <laughs> They're still after us, every single soul. The father of demons is Satan. He's the father of lies. He was defeated at the cross and resurrection by Jesus Christ. But be self-controlled, our first pope tells us. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the catechism says, the church teaches that Satan was at first a good angel, made by God, Lucifer, a beautiful angel. And the devil and other demons were indeed created naturally good by God, because God only creates good. But they became evil by their own doing, their own choice. The fall consists of free choice of the created spirits who radically and irrevocably rejected God and his reign. You will be like God, said Satan. You'll be like God. The devil has sinned from the beginning. He's a liar and the father of lies. And the demons try to associate man in their revolt against God. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Tells us in scripture, Jesus drove them out. This chapter is about outsiders coming into covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene was in bondage and Jesus frees her from seven demons. We too must be on guard because they prowl the world seeking the ruin of souls. So Jesus and his apostles are going across to the other side tonight and it's scary. There's an earthquake already on their way over there to the other side because the other side is very real. In Revelation 6, we've been reading Revelation in Mass this week, and there was a great earthquake. The whole moon turned blood red. What day is that? That's the day of the cross. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the day, the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Judgment. But who may abide the day of his coming? We're going to hear it in Advent. Who can stand when the Lord comes? And he's going across the sea to face the demons. Who can abide that? Malachi 3, who can endure? This is the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a fire, a refiner's fire that purifies silver and gold. He's going to purify the Levites, the evil priest, the Sadducees and Pharisees. He's going to refine them like gold and silver in fire, in judgment. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. And Jesus heals a blind man in Mark 8. His, and his eyes were opened, scripture tells us. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Mark 7, Jesus unstops a deaf man's ears. He's mute and deaf, and Jesus says, Epitha, which means be opened. Then will the lame man leap as an heart. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and he healed them all. And they laid him at his feet, and he healed them. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they all praised the God of Israel. And he shall feed his flock. That's next week. He's going to multiply the loaves next week, and it's all the Gospels. So the Sermon of the Mount's where we started, and he said, Blessed are you. The curse of Deuteronomy is ending. It's coming to an end, and Israel's moving into a great time of blessing. If they recognize it and accept it, the prophets understood the curses and blessings of Deuteronomy. They announced that Messiah would, when he comes, when Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. The outsiders of society are coming in, coming into covenant. It's like a revolving door. The outsiders are coming in, and the insiders, some of them are going out. Going out of covenant. They had every chance of covenant relationship with God. But he's bringing in the outsiders and their first Israelites like a Jewish leper is made clean and a mute blind man is healed and, and a crippled can walk. These are outsiders. They are healed physically. They are restored socially back into covenant. In Leviticus, if anyone was unclean, you couldn't have anything to do with them. If they were a leper, no way. If they couldn't see, they can't go to temple. If they can't walk, forget it. And Jesus is bringing all the outsiders in to covenant with him. This is something new. He's coming down off the mountain after the sermon of the Mount of Beatitudes. He comes down from the mountainside. Large crowds are following him. And a man with leprosy comes up to him and kneels before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand. He touched the man. He said, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately, immediately he was cured of his leprosy. The lepers were untouchable. They are outcasts of society. They're ritually unclean. You don't come anywhere near them. It was ordered in Leviticus, if a leopard approaches anyone, they have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so everyone can be warned to stay away. Don't come near me. And what does Jesus do? He's, the, the leper's not shouting unclean, but Jesus knows he's a leper, and Jesus doesn't say, get away. Get away, you're too close to me, get away. Jesus says, come near, come near. And he heals him. And all of Israel, the social outcasts are coming in. Jesus is bringing them in. They're healed, they're physically restored. The covenant outsiders are being made covenant insiders. And then he says, because they're from Israel, don't tell anyone. See, you don't tell anyone. I just healed you, don't tell anyone. He heals a blind man. And he says, don't tell anyone, don't go into the village. He heals a Jew that's a deaf, mute man. And he says, don't tell anyone. But then he heals a centurion's son. Wait a minute, this isn't an Israelite, this isn't a Jew. This is a Roman centurion. We don't like the Romans. He has 100 men under him, 100 officers under him. He's a centurion. 
We, we don't have anything to do with them. They took our land. They tax us. They oppress us. They kill us. And he asked Jesus, hey, my servant is ill. Just say the word. Just say the word. Now, he just tells Jesus what's going on. He doesn't tell him how to do it. He doesn't say, I would like you to, he, he, he just says, my servant needs healing. Could you just speak the word? You don't even have to come to my house. St. Therese of Lisieux loved this story because she said, when we come to God humbly, in desperate need, he comes to our aid. That's what the centurion did. He just told God, hey, could you help me out? They came to the other side, the other side of the sea, to where the Gerasenes are. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Chinnereth in the Old Testament because a Chinnereth is a harp, and it looks like a harp. The, the lake looks like a harp, and the Jordan River enters into this lake. And we, we have been up in Capernaum, and they're going across to the Decapolis region of the Gerasenes, a region of 10 cities that have been Hellenized by the Greeks and Romanized by the Romans. And it's, there are some Jews living there too, but they've lost their faith. They're not really in covenant. They're kind of like cultural Catholic. <laughs> they say they're Jews, but are they? They're not following law. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the territory of the Gerasenes, the other side, where they are not in covenant with God. Outsiders. The other side. The nether world, where death and life are going to battle. But God did not make death. And he does not delight in the death of the living, for he created all things that they might exist. And the generative forces of the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them, and the dominion of Hades is not on earth, for righteousness is immortal. It's a book of wisdom. I love that. Death enters the world through the envy of Satan, and they've already had round one. When he got out of the boat... At once, a man from the tombs came who had an unclean spirit. He's living in an unclean place. He's living among unclean death, and he has an unclean spirit. And the man had been dwelling among the tombs, and he had no one who could restrain him any longer, even with a chain. In fact, he had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles smashed, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. He had superhuman strength night and day among the tombs and on the hillsides. He was always crying out and bruising himself with stones, self-mutilation. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The demons know Jesus because they gazed upon the beatific vision when they were angels, before they were fallen angels. They know who he is. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He had been saying to him, unclean spirit, come out of the man. He had not worn clothes for a long time. He had no dignity. And he asked him, what is your name? And he replied, Legion. My name is Legion. There are many of us. A legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. They knew legions quite well. Legions had much strength and power. Rome was oppressed by legions. Jesus, when he was arrested, 
said my father at once could put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. One legion is 6,000, 12 legions is 72,000. 6,000, nothing for Jesus. And he pleaded earnestly with him not to drive them away from the territory. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside. They don't want to go back to hell. If they go to hell, they'll be there forever. Just send us to the abyss. Don't put us back in hell. They pleaded with him. Send us into the swine. Let us enter them. We're unclean. They're unclean. We'd be a good fit. <gasps> Why swine? Swine are unclean in Leviticus. Unclean spirits go into unclean beasts. They were always told the pig's a split hoof, completely divided. It doesn't chew its cut. It's unclean. It's unclean. They're told again in Deuteronomy. Isaiah 65, and we've been following Isaiah last week. Isaiah talks about judgment and salvation. And he says, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping vigil, vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of unclean meat. It's going to be judgment. They were not to eat pig. They were not to eat pork. And this mother in 2 Maccabees 7 dies for this law of God. And all seven of her sons die. And what mother wants to see every single one of her sons die before herself? But she knew that it's not all here. This was before Jesus. She didn't know about the resurrection. She didn't know about any of that. But she knew, I have to obey God. I have to trust God. And so each boy, one by one, in more torturous ways, died because he would not eat pork. And the seventh one, she was just praying that he would say no too, that he would stand firm because she knew. Pope John Paul in Veritatis Splendor says, martyrdom is the exaltation of the inviolable holiness of God's law. And she had that, and her name was Salomone. She's Saint Salomone. She has an incorruptible body that is treasured at the Patriarchal Church of St. George in Constantinople. And the Maccabees relics are kept in a shrine venerated at St. Andrew's Church in Cologne, Germany. So, pork was not to be eaten. And he let them and the unclean spirits come out and enter into the swine. Jesus allowed their wish. And the herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank and into the sea where they were drowned. That's a lot of bacon. <laughs> I like bacon. <laughs> now, perhaps a, it was a Jewish swine herder, because some commentators say, how could God steal that herd of pigs? That wasn't very nice of him. And he, you know, it was probably a Jewish swine herder that was living outside the covenant, because the Gentiles wouldn't be expected to follow the Jewish laws. The swineherds ran away and reported the incident to the town and throughout the whole countryside, and the people came to see what had happened. And they approached Jesus, and they caught sight of the man who had been possessed by legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were seized with joy. He's been set free. They were seized with fear. Fear gripped them. Who can abide the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like the refiner's fire. He frees the man from bondage. Years and years and years and years of bondage. They're not happy for him. He's freed from bondage. He's unbound. He's set free. He's an insider now. He's 
come into covenant. He's sitting there in his right mind. He's sitting at the feet of the master. That's a disciple. That's a new disciple. Join us on the next program for more on the miracles of Jesus with Sharon Doran on the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. If you seek, then you will find, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting, of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Dorans.